Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, a church that desires to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the Harrisburg region. Sermon B-Sides is designed to be a resource to help us deepen the conversation about this week's sermon and answer questions that may be helpful to accomplish our purpose. Hey, welcome back to another B-Side podcast. My name is John Robinson. I serve as one of the pastors at Liberty Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And my name is Matt Lelloyen. I serve at Liberty Church as one of the pastors as well. And good to be with you uh, this Monday morning. We had a, uh, a full weekend, John. Yeah, we did. Past couple days. Um, something that we don't get to always celebrate at our gathered worship services, uh, but we're really excited about is uh, we're part of a, a network of church planting churches called the Acts 29 Network. And uh, we have every six weeks on Saturday mornings, a group of current and future and potential church planters that gather with us to do some training and preparation mm-hmm. for church planting. Yeah. Uh, so we have eight men currently going through uh, some some training around uh, Acts 29 has 11 different competencies that they assess potential church planters mm-hmm. uh, on. And uh, with our partners in central Pennsylvania in the Acts 29 network, we've got this great cohort now mm-hmm. underway and had that crew here Saturday morning for a little while. Yeah, we get to host those guys. And so it's been really great to see um yeah, just hearing from from these guys and, and how they're, they're thinking through things and, and where God's leading them. and um, You guys get to do a lot of that teaching between you and Tim and Raphael and yeah. uh, all kind of our, our uh, the, the head guys in central PA, <laughs> a uh, archbishop. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Or, or just bishop, not arch. Just bishop. Yeah, I got to work bishop my way in. I got My hat's not that big That's yet. That's true, yeah. It's still the, a small hat. Yeah, Matt. Matt does. Uh, he coordinates and is the the lead for the Central Pennsylvania Acts Twenty Nine Network, and so uh, grateful for his leadership in that. That's really been fun to see. Um, just our partnership with them. We really love Acts Twenty Nine and uh, the things that they stand for, and the ways in which they they think through um, church planting. Uh, they think through the the planters themselves and, and care for them. And so it was neat to see that. Uh, it's always just a good time to hang out. We were yeah. we were here until I think it finished it. I think a formally 11.30, 11.30. I didn't get home until almost 2. Yeah, so, so like a... the conversations <laughs> post-conference, yeah. post-cohort were, uh, were just fun. Those are just good times. Yeah. A lot yeah. of theological stuff and well, we're uh, think through things. We're a weird and rare breed of people, so when we get us in the same room together, you know, yeah. we, can all be, we can all be talking a long time about this stuff and yeah. all of a sudden look up at the clock and realize some hours yeah. have passed by. Yeah. So one of those kind of things on Saturday. Yeah, it was good. It was a good but, time. But uh, then we welcomed seven seven men and women into Covenant with Liberty yesterday, which yeah, we was did. fantastic. Yeah. Um, grateful for the, always those days and just uh, perceiving glimpses of God's grace, mm-hmm. how he's brought people to faith in Christ, first and foremost, and then brought them here and to Liberty. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, had a Liberty 101 after the service and had about 13 or 14 folks yeah. uh, that are newer to our church and getting connected and some that found us online over uh, over the course of, of COVID months and live right. streaming yeah. and um, some that just live here in the area, some mm-hmm. that have relocated. So, um, yeah, so just a really encouraging weekend, but but certainly a full one. It was mostly encouraging, Matt. Mostly, oh, mostly encouraging. Mostly, not not completely. Not completely. Okay. No. Uh, yeah, I'm still I'm still trying to process through the the hatred towards Florida. <laughs> um, kept me up real late last night. Uh, my mom contacted me after after your uh, what is it called the incident. The incident. Yeah. And uh, 
and it just said, you know, bless his heart. <laughs> That's a very generous Southern way of saying, I'm really mad at you right now. Yeah. And you really are, have made a mistake. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> she she does plan on having a conversation with you when she comes up next. <laughs> I, so, I, I fully expect She's going to take you out to breakfast uh-huh. and tell you what's what. So. Why, why Florida is, is better than, <laughs> than I have it, is, it stuck in my mind. Oh, no. Uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, it was good times. Good times yesterday and Saturday. We, we went down to... Um, to Williamsburg, Virginia, on mm. Thursday. Nice. We did a little homeschool field trip. Yeah, nice. Did, did Colonial Williamsburg. Yeah. We did Jamestown. So that yep. was fun. But we were we booked it back for Bible study on Friday night. Yeah. And Saturday morning was Saturday was full and yeah, that yeah. stuff Saturday night and then Sunday, Sunday night. So yeah, and we've got we've got some more stuff happening tonight. Yeah, uh, our our, uh, our leadership cohort here yeah. at the church. So. Some folks going through some leadership training, and yeah, it's these are uh, these are full days and busy days, um, but but good days in the life of our church, and lots to be grateful for and rejoice in. So, almost as much happening as what was happening in Acts chapter oh, seven. Look at you, man! Look at Segway, uh, Segway, John Robinson, right out of the park. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like sixty verses. Yeah. Long, well, the longest the speech longest, in yeah. the book of Acts. Yeah, longest chapter, mm-hmm. uh, I think, by verse count. I think that's right. Um, and really, even the last eight verses of chapter six mm-hmm. segue into Stephen's speech. Yeah. Um, so really, what we're looking at here is like sixty-eight verses, and you uh, you really didn't you really didn't go over in time. <laughs> So miracles, yeah, miracles happen. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Do you believe in miracles? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the uh, the the movie. Was it uh, Costa? Was it was Bob Costa? Who uh, said that? Was that him? I think it was Bob. Man, Costa. I remember that was the 80, 1980 Lake Placid yeah. Olympics. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember them because I wasn't born in nineteen eighty. I don't think either of us were alive in nineteen eighty yet. 19, we were no. we were a few years a few years Just until shy. we arrived on the scene. Just shy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, a small miracle to make it through a long text of scripture in uh, in thirty minutes or so. If but you if you hated the content, but you were able to see that we finished within a reasonable amount of time, that is <laughs> that is a congratulations to your pastor. Say thank you. You could have taken an hour to preach through this, and, and then yet, some, and then and then, some. And then yet you uh, you managed to get us out within a, within a reasonable amount of time. So um, I, there were yeah. no questions. No, we didn't get questions. In. Maybe because people were afraid of how long we would be responding to the questions of the things we couldn't well, cover. Sure. But you need to send an email to Matt Matt at liberty.org. <laughs> liberty with an I at the end. Uh, thank you, thank you for doing that. Uh, I expect your inbox to be flooded by the end of the week. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, man, it is a it is a great speech. It's a great text of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just want to start off by saying I would encourage all of you to read the the whole thing in its entirety uh, to take the time to do that as you prepare for Bible study groups this week uh, because several things will emerge when you do take the time to to read through it and process through it. You'll mm-hmm. see even more how Stephen weaves these themes through his speech and really. All he's weaving there is identifying the, the, the realities that have existed throughout mm-hmm. the history of, right. of God's people, God's covenant people from Abraham on, right. but about the temple finding its fulfillment in Christ, it's being superseded by the temple of Jesus' body, mm-hmm. the law finding its fulfillment in Christ. You'll also really feel that turn in verse 51 more mm-hmm. intensely when mm-hmm. you spend 50 verses hearing the background and kind of the, the historical 
retelling, and then it just kind of abruptly switches from defendant to prosecutor mode. Yeah. Uh, you feel that a lot yeah. more when you actually take the time to read the whole thing. No, I, I love that imagery of like the the defendant getting out of the the chair and then like becoming the prosecutor. It uh, it was I was like, yep, no, that's kind of what it feels like. It Oof. does. It's uh, and man, the boldness of Stephen to to take that on. In that moment, in that setting. Right. Uh, I mean, clearly through and through, whether he was more in that defensive posture, uh, really just retelling the history of Israel, but with these truths woven through, Mm -hmm. or when he switched to take the offensive posture uh, and level a a charge, an accusation back against Mm -hmm. the council and the high priest, um, it was just really clear this whole thing was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And and even the setup there, as you mentioned, John, at the end of chapter 6, Stephen was empowered by the Spirit. He was doing signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. Um, He was um, not only serving uh, and waiting on tables, as was his now new leadership role from Mm -hmm. earlier in Acts 6, but he continued on in his ministry of the Word and of doing signs and wonders alongside the rest of the the apostles Mm -hmm. in the early church. It actually makes me... Those those statements at the end of chapter 6... I think shows a little bit about the uniqueness of these original deacons mm-hmm. being selected from uh, the, the people that mm-hmm. were there in the church. Um, the, the distinction of elder and deacon that we think of more today in our approach to church leadership offices mm-hmm. developed more over time in the New Testament, mm-hmm. where you see here in like Acts 6 into 7, and then next week as we get into to Acts 8 and Philip, who's another one of those original seven. Right. Um, they were also probably not among the 12, but maybe among the 70 and, and certainly probably in some sense considered apostles. Uh, I don't know if I, we don't know. And, and actually probably not likely that they were apostles in the technical sense of the term, having seen the risen Christ, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen and Philip, both being, uh, Hellenists or Greek speaking Jews probably meant that they were from outside of Jerusalem, outside right. of Judea. The diaspora. The, the diaspora, the spread of the Jews mm-hmm. around the first century Mediterranean right. world. So they, they may not have been in and around Jerusalem to see a resurrection appearance of Jesus. Right. So in that sense, they would not be a, a capital A apostle. Mm-hmm. But the fact that signs and wonders were being worked through them uh, yeah. in the way that they were the apostles, um, they, they were not in that original group, not in that, that mm-hmm. 12, but certainly in that group. That um, broader group of leaders and people mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. empowered in unique ways with gifts of of the word as yeah. well. Yeah, that that uh, the group of so we see the seventy being sent out by Jesus yep. in the Gospels, and then we see the one twenty um, up in the the upper room. Yep, potentially part of that group, um, or you think like some of like these first um, <clears throat> Pentecost uh, converts that yeah. we see. Could be that as well. Okay. Could be that as well. So we don't really get a whole lot of Stephen's background other than the, mm-hmm. the verses that we've been in these last couple of weeks, the end of six and then yeah. all of seven. Um, his his time in kind of the public eye, at least as mm-hmm. it's recorded in scripture, was short. Yeah. Um, it was short. He he was uh, a known leader in the in the early church, mm-hmm. and we don't really know how much time exactly has elapsed from the resurrection mm-hmm. of Christ, the ascension of Christ, Pentecost, mm-hmm. to what plays out here right. at the end of six and seven. But yeah. it's probably not more than a few years. Right. Um, it's probably not more than you know. It, it most likely, this is still all happening under the high priesthood of Caiaphas, mm-hmm. um, who was the high priest that presided over Jesus's trial. Mm-hmm. Caiaphas was high priest until 36 AD, mm-hmm. um, so it's probably in those years between 
you know, there's a debate about whether Christ's uh, death and resurrection was at 30 mm-hmm. or 33 uh, mm-hmm. AD. Um, so it's, it, you know, depending on how you understand that, this happened somewhere in those six years between 30 and 36 or the three years between 33 and 36 AD. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so, um, Annas the high priest is mentioned in verse 4 and Caiaphas. But what the commentators were saying was that um, Annas was more um, the, the high priest who was, who was kind of like Roman. Mm. Roman, they, they didn't want Caiaphas because Caiaphas well, I guess, was just too Jewish. right? Mm. He was too tied to the people. Yeah, yeah. So the people recognized Caiaphas as the high priest. That was like the people's the kind people's, of... The people's high priest. Uh-huh. He's like the rock. Yeah. <laughs> the people's champion. The people's champion. The people's champion. Which, uh, um, what, what verse are you in there, that is, uh That is Acts chapter 4, Acts four. Verses, uh, verses 5 and 6. Okay. When it talks about yep. them going to the council... And we see Peter and John going yep. in front of the, the Sanhedrin. Yep. Um, it does say with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John and Alexander. Mm-hmm. So it was, they, it was they, a familial. Were they related to? Wasn't yeah. one of them the son-in-law of the other? I forget. I, I'm getting the, confused as to like, maybe Annas was the son-in-law of Caiaphas. Yeah, he was okay. the next generation. Okay. So he was probably had a little bit more of a Hellenistic yeah. um, influence as opposed to Caiaphas. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it would be like Aaron and Eleazar when the in the original, right. like where El, um, you know Nahab and Abihu, mm-hmm. um, uh, Aaron's first sons, of mm-hmm. course, offered the unauthorized fire right. and killed. killed. But then Eleazar, as he came up, and as Aaron near the end of his life, there was kind of that mm-hmm. like window of handing things off, and mm-hmm. Eleazar taking on more responsibility. So maybe right. something similar. Yeah, and it was it was familial, um, taken from from Deuteronomy and mm-hmm. the way that we see the political line. Yeah, yeah. So all of these guys, John and Alexander, were in a way related to Caiaphas. Okay. Caiaphas was the was the um, the patriarchal figurehead of the mm. um, of the the Pharisees. And mm. So um, yeah, I, you know, when we get into 7 and they're they're standing in front of the, this group again, we see Stephen standing in front of the Sanhedrin in essence. Um <clears throat> Again, and the boldness that he has, it's, man, like, yeah, we don't know his background. And in so many ways, like, our backgrounds, we think our backgrounds make such a huge difference in our lives. And mm-hmm. they do have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't hear anything about Stephen until, you know, until he's he's selected as a deacon. Mm-hmm. And his story from there is just a testament to um, to God's work the holy spirit's presence and power in his life and that's really we don't need to know his background because we know what yeah. god has done yeah um and in so many ways like for christians i think that is that is that is how we need to tell our testimonies yeah we don't need to spend a ton of time on hmm. our our background where we came from hmm. um family heritage that really uh is a part of our story yeah but it's not the part of our story yeah. that really matters. What the what the Holy Spirit has done, hmm. uh, how He has changed our lives, our hmm. new affections, our new powers. Mm-hmm. You know, powers. I say powers, but um, the new power over you know sin and huh. and and, um, and and its effects in our lives. That's really like that's the testament of who God is, hmm. and which is our our testimony is is how God has worked. We see, that is. That is what Scripture is, yeah. right? Scripture has been the story of God, and yeah. the story of God in in our world. Yeah. Um, and so we need to, when we start talking about testimonies and sharing our testimonies with people, 
um, we spend less time about where we've been, more time on like what God has done and is doing in our lives. Yeah, I think that's the that's the place of like boldness that Stephen can even speak from. Is like yeah. he knows he knows Israel's history. He he sees God's work and continued work yeah. in his life and in the people around him. Yeah, which is why that shift in fifty one is so stark. Yeah, you know, for him. Well, and that's the yeah. So you get there's parts, and particularly we see you know Saul. Paul is introduced at the end of, of chapter 7 here, and he, he becomes a prominent figure in the story. There are certain of Paul's letters and epistles, many of them, where he does kind of open up his own his own heart and his own story. He talks about how he's the chief of sinners. He talks about his zeal, but that was misguided. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there are personal elements of testimony that help, help us relate to um, the, the actual real-life experience of what it is to, right. to follow Christ and be transformed Absolutely. by him. yeah. Here in Acts 6 and 7, it becomes clear, and you were talking about that a second ago, that turn in the offense of, mm-hmm. of verse 51. At the end of the day, this is not a, this is not about Stephen. Mm-hmm. It's Stephen is just really the human messenger, the, the lightning rod in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the issue that's really being wrestled with here is not Stephen. It is, it is, who, is who is actually stewarding God's truth for the people of God mm-hmm. going forward from right. the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. It's, yeah. it's a, you know, it, even the charge of blasphemy uh, that is eventually put upon him, it is w- what is really blasphemy and what is mm-hmm. actually the, the beautiful and necessary gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's, those things are, are at odds with each other as evidenced by the stark, what, what Stephen sees as he sees heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of God is mm-hmm. to him, Beautiful. It is the is the ascension of Christ. It is the what's called the session of Christ, the ruling reign of Christ at the right, right hand of the Father. Right. That's actually the the, the blasphemy mm-hmm. of of a because that's that's clearly attributing divinity, godhood, equality with Yahweh to mm-hmm. Jesus, um, and that's the blasphemy that then they you know they stop their ears, they they grind their teeth, they charge at him, they stone mm-hmm. him. Uh, that's the charge that by uh, um, for which they put him to to death. Yeah. So so Stephen is certainly. Right in the mix here. He's on the witness stand. Right. Yeah. But it's not really about Absolutely. Stephen. Yeah, and and is it ever even really about us? Hmm. Right? I think that's the, hmm. the question. It's like hmm. it's like who who God is, what God is doing. Um, as we as we have the you know as your your sermon was entitled The Cost of Telling the Truth. Yeah. Telling the truth of who God is. That's right. You know, and, yeah. and his 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 effects in the world. Hmm. Um, yeah. So you kind of work that that uh, the backwards a little bit, uh, truth, uh, telling and cost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like the substance of of the message is the is the truth. You know, kind of working like you said, the temple and the law were the accusations against Stephen. How yeah. do you how do you see that? Like what are the what are the modern day implications mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of truth truth telling? Um, for, for our folks today? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think it still remains a core gospel issue as to what is the what is the place of obedience, what is the place of the law, mm-hmm. God's law, in the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Uh, the temple, um, also very relevant in a sense, I think there's been so many years that have passed and the Christian church has been established and new traditions of the Christian church where there's not, mm-hmm. we, we aren't born into... Um, and we aren't we aren't brought up in churches. We don't come into churches where like we really wrestle deeply with um, 
Jerusalem being the Holy Land and needing to worship at the temple and not mm-hmm. being able to worship elsewhere. It's like right. the, the history of the last 2,000 years is, has made that maybe an easier one to, mm-hmm. to navigate for us. I think, of course, seeing, seeing Christ as fulfillment there, seeing his, the temple of his body replacing the temple mm-hmm. and recognizing the freedom that has even setting the stage for the, the worldwide spread of the gospel is a really mm-hmm. important implication. So why, why do we do a worldwide mission? Why do we not call everyone to take their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem? Um, why, do, why, why do we think it's good and right to plant churches to the ends of the earth mm-hmm. and, and even uh, preserve the, the truth of the gospel, but even have uh, cultural um, contextualization that plays mm-hmm. out into how is the gospel going to reach these people in this culture? Mm-hmm. All of that could be fleshed out from, from, from Jesus' fulfillment and the way that the temple uh, of his body fulfilled mm-hmm. all that the, the Old Testament temple and the tabernacle and God's presence working outside of the confi- the confines of any particular one location. Right. That's, that's I think, maybe the implications for that. So when you think about global mission, when you think about the other, the other th- line there maybe being that, as I've heard it put before, uh, now in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the temple has legs. Mm-hmm. So, so the mm-hmm. presence of God by the Spirit of God, specifically the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling the church. Mm-hmm. And there's many passages in the New Testament, uh, I'm thinking specifically of 2 Corinthians 6 and 7 that talks about how our body is a temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the temple, but the, the, the you that Paul uses there is plural. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Holy Spirit is, uh, maybe to say it this way, the church is now the steward of the mm-hmm. very presence of God. Yeah. Um, yeah, the living stones in Romans. Yep. Yeah. Or that's uh that one's living stones is um first Peter. First, first Peter. Peter two. But exactly, the same thing. Um, so you've got some implications there about what it is to be a steward of the very presence of God as the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and man, that'll add significance to everything you do in your life if you mm-hmm. actually are thinking consciously about yeah. you know what used to be confined at least in, in in Jewish worship and the norms prescribed by God for Jewish mm-hmm. worship, and the Holy of Holies once a year mm-hmm. accessed by one high priest mm-hmm. to make atonement for sin. Jesus fulfilled all of that to the point that the, the presence of God dwells with the people of God mm-hmm. um, with us mm-hmm. wherever we go, and that we as, as his church, as his people, get to steward the presence mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. The law, I think... Uh, we're still at risk constantly of going back to human effort, to regulations, yeah. to rules, to putting rules around the rules, mm-hmm. to even thinking subtly. I think most of us would would kind of check the doctrinal box that said, well, how are you saved? And we would say, well, it's by grace through faith. It's not mm-hmm. by keeping the law. It's not by our obedience. Right. But functionally, perfor- a performance-oriented mindset, it, it often kind of comes in even for me personally. It's like when I've sinned, when I know I have broken the law of God, uh, rather than repenting and believing, which is the, the, the way I should faithfully pursue faithfulness now that I have broken the law of God, mm-hmm. my mindset can go so much to this, this mentality that God is now uh, against me. God's, God is now looking at me in my sinfulness as opposed to looking at me through the finished work of Christ, mm-hmm. where... Um, where now I need to, you know, atone for that myself somehow. Mm-hmm. I need to make or you know work my way back into yeah. the grace of God or the favor of God, mm-hmm. and so I think that's I think that whole idea of the law yeah. being fulfilled in Christ, seeing as Stephen did and traced out here in Acts seven, all along the law has been pointing to our inability 
to keep it. Mm-hmm. All along, the law has been really screaming out that, that salvation has to come from something else besides mm-hmm. keeping the law. Yeah. And, and so for us, we see that in our own life presently and can look backward to mm-hmm. Jesus' fulfillment. Stephen was speaking to his brothers and fathers, his fellow Jews, mm-hmm. and talking about their ancestors, their shared history, and saying it's always been that way. Like we, yeah. we've the law has it's beautiful. It is it is God's revelation of Himself. It is mm-hmm. how we should live, um, but it is it is not possible to accomplish our salvation yeah. by keeping that law. Yeah, that that law gospel distinction. I think so much um, informs the way in which we read. Uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, like needing to understand uh, from an Old Testament perspective, uh, the gospel. Yeah. Like, how does this, how does this point me to the good news of the gospel? Yeah. My own insufficiency here. Yeah. And then not reading the law into the New Testament as well, mm-hmm. and going, okay, where's where's the gospel present? Here's here's how I've you know, here are the things now that I have to do, you know, as you know. Um, it's putting sin, putting sin to death, and and some of the ways in which Paul outlines um, what it what it looks like to be faithfully present, yeah. what it looks like to to follow Christ in in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, we've we can turn those things into law, yeah, right, yeah, as opposed to seeing the beauty of the gospel in these these commands, these um, these ways of seeing and, and believing, and so yeah. I think that's. Man, like as people who who really love, we really love laws because laws are really easier for us to keep. Well, it's less or, scandalous. It's just it's an equation, right? It's a right. Um, it's a yeah, like do enough of these good things mm-hmm. and do more of those than you do the bad things, yeah. and now I can you know see. So, so that's and that's where, gosh, lots of world religions um, and lots of offshoots of of Christianity, even. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, even some of the the key kind of core distinctions uh, in the Reformation that played out mm-hmm. were were trying to clarify. It's a lot easier to look at kind of an equation and go do more good than do bad, and right. therefore God will owe you this. Right. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot more scandalous to believe. Yeah. You know, this is all about the work of Christ, yeah. and and then as you were yeah. saying, it is really important that we don't um, abhor disregard the law uh, you know even mm-hmm. jesus in the sermon on the mount which we were referring right. to yesterday he he came to not to abolish but to fulfill so now we, we just look at the law through different eyes and we get we get mm-hmm. actually we get to look at it as in the beauty that it has mm-hmm. because it is god showing us what is a good and right way to live right. yeah. when all we could look at it before apart from christ and knowing that our salvation couldn't come from the law like you're, you're terrified of the law. You don't want to go near it because the more you know about it, the less ignorant you become about it, yeah. the more it's going to crush you because you can't keep it. Right. So now in Christ, you can actually look at the law of God and you can go, oh, I see I see the beauty of what was here and mm-hmm. I'm really glad that my that my salvation doesn't hinge on how well I can keep that. But I do, mm-hmm. want, to, but I do want to, in Christ, and in yeah. response to what he's done, uh, live my life according to the to the beautiful yeah. design of of God. Yeah, which is why David could say like how how beautiful your you know yeah, your law all, is. All it's like Psalm one nineteen yeah. and all that like you know yeah, which yeah. is like you read that you read that without a kind of a gospel um, understanding. You're like, how in the world is is the law beautiful? Yeah, like this is this is weighty. Like who could who could keep this? Who would even want to put that yoke on them? That's right, right? Oh yeah. Um, 
and yet there is beauty in it because of of the it being fulfilled in Christ and and how it can uh, and does in many ways lead to flourishing mm-hmm. uh, because it is that is right design right prioritization in in view of who God is and who we are and how we relate to other people yeah um, and so being able to to obey those aspects of the law yeah. will lead to flourishing but it's not a it's not it does not lead to more righteousness mm. it does not lead to mm. more godliness mm-hmm. right uh, because we have the fulfillment of that in Christ mm-hmm. we have the fulfillment of the righteousness of God you know it's it's like this false equivocation of like the righteousness we could earn versus mm-hmm. the righteousness of God yeah we think that like us earning righteousness is is better than the righteousness that are that is given to us by Christ. Sure. Yeah. Like, let's take the righteousness given to us by Christ and yeah. like live in that and, and, and believe that and, and and accept that as the reality mm-hmm. of who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And go, okay, now that I have this, I can see these things and go, no, that that would be good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, look at even at the Ten Commandments and, and how we relate to God and how we relate to each other mm-hmm. and see that as a an aspect of, of human flourishing uh, as opposed to if I don't like if I if I break the Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, God hates me or God's gonna judge me. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to actually the Sabbath was is was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. like so we've <laughs> it's it really is. It does point us back to the fact that that, yeah. that God is for us, yeah, um, and He see we see that throughout all of all, really the Old Testament and New Testament. That's right, perfected perfectly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's right, and you get you know, and even even that um, that that we get to be part of of an active part of of the ongoing sanctifying work that God is doing in us in the way we pursue those things now. Mm-hmm. But it's because, as you were saying, John, the this this position that we have, this passive position that we have solely through Christ, that righteousness is the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees that right. Jesus talks about there right after he talks about he, that he didn't come to abolish the law but mm-hmm. to fulfill it, where we are in Christ, we have the righteousness of God that comes by faith, and Paul talks about that in Romans, he talks about that in Philippians 3. Um We've got this righteousness positionally, which empowers us now in that mm-hmm. position to now go and pursue and strive and toil and labor, as Paul says, with all the energy that is within me to, mm-hmm. to pursue holiness and godliness and righteousness, but not not in a way that earns us something, but in a right. way that actually, I, I always love how Piper put this years ago, John Piper, become who you are. Mm-hmm. But you get you get to now become who you are mm-hmm. positionally in Christ. You get to go be active and and run after those that good yeah. design of God. Yeah, yeah, man. Like the the freedom in that, the joy that comes with that, um, even in the ways in which you know that truth for us is um, is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that John Chrysostom quote: mm-hmm. the holy place was there wherever God may be, and mm-hmm. God being with with us, dwelling with us uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, our hope, I think my hope, and, and man, I would, you know, I'll, I'll lump you into that as well, is like that, that we, uh, as as Christians, would see that, mm-hmm. is that that you have, you have the Holy Spirit with you, mm-hmm. and that should change how you see yourself, mm-hmm. uh, how you should see 
other Christians and then the desire for you to see that for pre-Christians, those who which you would share the gospel with and, and, and the, the Holy Spirit would respond. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, that's, that's good. And we, Matt, we... Unlike the sermon yesterday, we have run out of time. We've talked a lot about, and we could keep talking. So maybe just a couple things in closing to point you into continued discussion in your Bible study groups this week. Um, Stephen, in his telling of the truth, both has the the defense and the offense. Uh, I would you know encourage you in your groups to talk about how prepared you feel for each of those things. For mm-hmm. do you feel like you've internalized the Word of God to where you could? Uh, without you know, without notes, without Google searches, you could kind of give a retelling of um, of of the work of God throughout throughout history, throughout mm-hmm. the uh, God's redemptive history and the Scriptures in a way that defends uh, the faith that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, um, how how prepared do you feel to in moments when the gospel itself is at stake, go on the offense and still from a heart of love challenge people in the lies and the assumptions that they believe that are keeping them locked up uh, behind the gates of hell, mm-hmm. storming the gates of hell, those kinds of moments. Um, I think it even would bear good, fruitful discussion in your groups to talk about uh, what are those moments when it really is necessary to offend? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does even that look like to offend with a heart of love? Because, man, we could we could take that based on our personality and go a lot of different ways. We could mm-hmm. Some of us love that kind of edgy, challenging, offensive, or even antagonistic kind of approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're that, if you're if you're kind of that vantage point, you're going to need that challenge to go. What does love and gentleness and respect look like? Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're more already prone or already inclined to be gentle and respectful in your dialogue and discussion, uh, you, you need to be. We need to be challenged to have. Uh, an edge in certain moments and be able to speak very clearly mm-hmm. to where we do identify a lie. But in your Bible study groups, it would be great to open that up, flesh out what that looks mm-hmm. like, and even the difference between when is the gospel at stake mm-hmm. and when are we just kind of using an, an offensive posture to like push our preferences or things yeah. that aren't actually the gospel being at stake. Right. Yeah, I think in all of that, looking to to Christ and how Christ dealt with that. That's going to be really uh, informative mm-hmm. um, and, in a way, prescriptive for for how we need to interact with the with the world. Um, yeah. may, may we not be more offensive than Christ, yeah, or or less bold than He was. Mm, it's good. Well said. So well said. And um, maybe the last thing there too, just just even how Stephen dies. So we live in a particular moment right now where uh, it is easy to be filled with self pity. And I, I get that. I can find myself kind of wallowing in self pity about how hard, you know. For example, it can be to navigate uh, COVID life and life in the midst of these cultural challenges, and say, you know, mm-hmm. like we as we've lamented with each other, John, like making some of these decisions, leading pastorally right now feels hard. And and there's a there's a, an importance to acknowledge those realities at times. Uh, mm-hmm. To cry out to God certainly for wisdom, for strength, for endurance. Uh, but that can quickly can quickly become self pity in my own mm-hmm. heart. Uh, I think all of us, no matter where we land on certain things, can find ourselves feeling filled with self pity, bitterness, resentment, mm-hmm. which is what you know. It's such a common thing in the human condition that it has this name, a martyr complex, 
Right. But then you see Stephen, of course, a real martyr, does not have a martyr complex. Right. Uh, he has uh, assurance, mercy, and peace in his mm-hmm. heart when he mm-hmm. dies. Yeah. And that, so what, so how do we identify the self-pity, the bitterness, resentment when we see that? And how do we pursue instead uh, the heart that he had empowered again by the Holy Spirit of assurance of his place in Christ, mercy for those that were, he, you know, were his executioners, his accusers, mm-hmm. and then a real sense of peace that he mm-hmm. was, he, it was worth telling the truth. It was worth paying the cost of telling the truth. Mm-hmm. No, that's it's that's that's right, Matt. Um, that's a good challenge for us, and uh, grateful for the ways in which you broke that down yesterday for us. Um, it's a good challenge for me. So, uh, but yeah, hey guys, I hope you have a, a wonderful week. If you have any questions, come out of Bible study, shoot them over to us. We'd be glad to discuss those. But uh, have a great week, and we will catch you next time. Take care. See you.